The lifespan of a vital product, it can range between one to two years. Hey, my name is Felix Tia. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how to go from a viral idea to a live product in 60 days, the lifespan of a viral product, and what it means to focus on your brand instead of your products. Today, I'm joined by Justin Clark from Romperjack. Romperjack is the original male romper, perfect for parties, hanging out with your bros, picnics, events, and many other things. It was started in 2017, based out of Valencia, California, and it's projected to earn over $900,000 in revenue this year. Welcome, Justin. Hey, thanks for having me, Felix. Excited to have you on. So this all started, this whole idea started with you finding a product or you and the team finding a product on Kickstarter, and it wasn't one that launched yet. So tell us more about this. Yeah, yeah. So it was, I believe it was uh, May of 2017. We we were on Kickstarter um, one day and we were just looking at different products that people were launching and we happened to come across this product called the Male Romper. um, And the company that was launching it was called Romp Him. um, And it was being launched out of uh, Chicago, I believe. So they wanted to raise about $10,000 in about 30 days. And the current campaign that was on Kickstarter at the time was about three days old, and it already raised $330,000 in three days. So that kind of stood out to us that, you know what, they have a bunch of traction. They're onto something that's really great here that, that you know, has a lot of potential. So we decided to give them a competitor. So we kind of like took their kind of idea, put our own little spin on it, found our own audience. Um, and then quickly ordered some product um, from overseas, got some samples. Um, and then launched our own brand called Romper Jack. Awesome. So you are in Kickstarter specifically to do to kind of come up with product ideas, or just someday you're you know browsing just for fun. What was the the reason why you're on Kickstarter? Yeah, yeah. So we use Kickstarter a lot of times to validate products. Um, it's a good place to find a product that already has product market val- validation um, because the public is already kind of proving that people want this this product. So it kind of it, it, it stops you from taking on that task yourself or trying to prove if you should launch a product or not. Um, and it's kind of stinks in a way that you're kind of stealing someone's idea, but I mean, it's an open market. So, you know, all, all ideas are open to everybody. That's, that's what makes America so great at the end of the day. Right. So I was wondering, like, did you get any kind of backlash for, for this approach? Cause I mean, you're right. You know, if there is a, no, no idea for the most part is original, or at least most ideas are not original. Is usually you know improvements or working off of an existing one. But it sounds like this is like a, a lot of people out there listening might feel like, oh, this is something that I might not be comfortable doing, or that they might have a, a reaction to. Like, what was the result of you doing this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great question. So, um, you know, you would think that you get a lot of backlash, but when you think about it. We're not the only ones that saw that campaign. We're not the only ones that kind of took that opportunity on to try to launch um, something similar. It's a similar product. And I think that that happens a lot with all the other campaigns as well, is that um, people launch their ideas um, and they need to go in there knowing that uh, there's other people that can see this. You're, you're kind of showing the whole entire public your idea. Um, 
And sometimes in my mind, I believe competition is good because it makes you work faster, makes you work harder, and makes you build a more superior product. So we didn't get much backlash because I think the people launching it kind of knew that someone else was going to come along the way, especially when they're launching a product that's not um, patentable or you know has no IP protection. Makes sense. So you've have you started? It sounds like you guys have done this before. Like so you start other businesses and products in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, we actually have um, five companies right now, but a product-based companies um, that we started in the past for, as an example, would be um, about two years ago, the floaties. There was these floaties that became really popular. They were really big swans. Um, and then the, they had like these really big unicorns. Um, and you saw them over Instagram and they had this huge viral-like vibe to them. So we were kind of uh, on the board of launching those as well. So we kind of look, we find viral products and then we kind of like get them going as fast as we can. And to, to validate those products, a lot of times we use Kickstarter. And when you say use, you mean use it to, to do research or you're actually launching on Kickstarter? Research. Um, we don't usually launch on Kickstarter because usually if we're finding a product on Kickstarter, it's already on there. So having two of the same thing on there doesn't do well. Mm -hmm. So we just, um, we get funding ourselves really quickly from friends and family, put a, put our website together, order a product overseas, and then, um, and then hopefully launch it and everything goes to plan. That's awesome. So you, you obviously have a lot of experience launching businesses and obviously sustaining them since you have five at this point. What's, what did, what is your process even earlier than this? So, you know, you go on a Kickstarter to validate the idea, but it sounds like you are able to identify trends or viral products even prior to this. So what is that, that kind of step zero to identify products that you might want to try to see, try to throw against the wall? Yeah. So since we're not designing our own products, we're kind of taking products that are out there and either adding to them or, um, or targeting a different audience. So the first thing is to, is to, to identify a viral product, I guess, is really to go online and look at what people are tagging on Instagram. If it's product based or like what's really popular on like Instagram, Facebook or social media at the time. Um, and then you can also, um, you can also use Kickstarter or Indiegogo or one of those, um, you know, public raising cam um, campaign websites. And you can use that to validate what is popular by the amount of money it's raised in a certain amount of time. If it's raised a lot of money in a certain amount of time, it shows you right then and there that there's traction. Another cool way of doing this is going on Facebook and you go to the video section and then you can type in certain product names and you can find which videos have the most likes and views. Um, and that's another good way to, to validate products as well. So it almost sounds like it starts off with some kind of hunch that you either see yourself within your friends, within people that you follow online. Maybe you saw a bunch of friends posting at the pool, like, you know, with these floaties, all of a sudden you start, then the kind of brain starts running and then you start doing research to see if it is a, a viral product or not. Because it sounds like it comes from, I'm trying to figure out where does it originally come from? It sounds like, does it come from you just, just as a team, just seeing things in your life? I think it's mostly from research. Research, okay. Because I mean, you say that you're you're kind of searching for things on Instagram or or on Kickstarter. How do you know what to to I guess to 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 search? Because that has I figured it has to come from somewhere, right? The the search term or like you know floaties had to come. The idea behind doing research behind these like pool floaties had to come from somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of times those things come from just what I hear in public, um, just from friends talking about it or heard in Got the it. news, um, and the idea sparked in my mind, and then okay. I quickly so go keep to your keep your eyes and ears open, essentially, to, yeah. to 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 initiate that spark. But then 
go on Facebook, Instagram, Kickstarter to to validate it further. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so you are, I mean, five businesses. I'm sure you've launched others many in the past too. You you you. It sounds like you guys have like a process you're like going through for launching. Tell us what is the ideal timeline you like to have now between having an idea to actually setting everything up in in a way where you can deliver your first order. Yeah. So I think. Once you find the product that you want to do and you're sure that you, you know, that's the right product, um, usually the timetable is about 60 days, I would say, because the first step to that process is to obviously find a manufacturer that can make that product um, and make it at a price that you can afford. Um, and then also the next step would be to order some samples from, from multiple manufacturers and then see the quality of it, see how it feels, um, if you have to wear it, try it on wear it for a couple of days. Um, if it's something, if it's a tangible product or some, some kind of device, I mean, test it out a bunch and then, um, find the best manufacturer that made the best sample at the best price. And then once you establish that, you need to go ahead and, and, and talk to them about, um, ordering a minimum order quantity and just finding out how much that's going to be and what their lowest numbers are. And the very important thing about this is that you need to you need to order such a small amount in the beginning because you need to mitigate your risk as much as possible because um, at the end of the day you could be wrong it could it could not succeed so once you get that small amount of order in um, the next step would be to actually build the website and we use Shopify obviously because um, Shopify probably in my mind they make the best e-commerce platform out there and they have all the tools you need to 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 launch a successful online store. So once you get a Shopify account, you're going to get pictures, product pictures, put that up, maybe get some lifestyle photos of people using the product um, and then uh, put that on the website as well. Uh, build like Instagram, social media accounts for the product, get a brand name and then um, and then launch the product. And then from there, you need to start marketing. And that's that's a totally different game within itself as well. Okay, so let's start with the the very first thing you talked about, which is find a manufacturer. Based on your experience so far, how many manufacturers do you usually have to be in contact with before you're able to find one that that meets your criteria of being the cheapest, the lowest minimum order quantity, and the best product? Yeah, yeah. So I would I would typically say about three to four. You know, you're going to order about three to four samples from three to four different um, manufacturers. Um, and then kind of compare them and contrast them. And then you'll probably land on like one or two really good manufacturers. And then the next step would probably to kind of get them to compete with each other on pricing and on minimum order quantity. And then whoever like gives you the best quote at the end of the day is probably who I would go with. Got it. And what's your research process to find these manufacturers? Yeah, so we actually use um, the, the most popular place to go online for manufacturers, which is Al Alibaba. And um, so we just go on Alibaba and most of the times we'll search for manufacturers if it's a, um, a specific product we can find on there already. And if it's not a product that um, that you can't find on there that's being created or being sold, what you do is you find a manufacturer that makes something similar or something something in the same vertical. And then you contact them and be like, hey, I have this idea. I want to launch a product similar. They're going to ask for like um, product photos. They're going to ask for other information about the product, maybe some some designs, um, and you're going to send that over to them, and then hopefully that they they can actually pull it off and make a sample for you. 
Okay, got it. Now, during this whole process of finding manufacturer and the product photos and getting the samples and everything leading up to the point where you have your website set up, what do you find? What do you think is the hardest part that you see or you think most people will trip up along the way? Um, a lot of, I mean, just getting started is is the first thing. Like a lot of people have an idea and they they know it's a good idea and they've validated it. But they never took the next step of actually ordering samples, so that's probably the first part. But why do you think that happens? Like, why do you think that they get that 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 you know it's pretty pretty the cold easy. feet? Okay, is it because they're worried they won't work, or the the investing in the in in the business? Like, what is it that you, you you see? I think there's there's a couple things that come into play. I think the first thing that comes into play is 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 they're afraid that they don't have enough capital or enough money to to sustain a company like that or or to get it going which is not usually necessarily true because sometimes you, you really need a very limited amount of money to launch a, a sto- online store. And then the next thing is is just a fear. Can they actually pull it off? Do they actually have um, the knowledge and the know-how to actually make it work and to actually start a company? Um, and a lot of people think it's really hard in the beginning, but it's really not. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. And um, once you get it going, um, it kind of starts to run itself. You, you learn it as you go on kind of on the way. Uh, and then the third thing I would think is um, they, they're not sure. They're not sure if they have the right product or they're not, they judge themselves too much, um, even though it's kind of already validated. So they're not 100% sure, not 100% confident in, in their choice. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing is that a lot of people will, will get cold feet because they feel like they need to see the entire path from where they are to, to you know, quote unquote, whatever the success is to them. And they can't see the entire thing. They don't want to get started. And you kind of have to put blinders on yeah. a little bit where you just got to see enough to take the first, the next step, right? Don't try to worry so much about yeah. being able to see everything before you get going. So I think that that's a very important point about how a lot of it's just doubts, right? Doubts about whether you can do it or not. You almost, you almost, Call, you almost fail yourself before you actually have the chance to truly, you know, fail. And then obviously if you're doing that, then you never get the chance to react to those failures and, and adapt. So have you had any of these kind of failures yourself along the way, like these kind of businesses that you've tried launching and, you know, based on the things you're talking about now, those things have tripped you up? Um, yeah, I've ordered, I've, I mean, I've ordered a lot of samples and, and, and thought about starting a lot of different businesses. And then, and I've, I've gotten to that point where like, I didn't take it to the next level where I ordered, um, product, um, or even a sample. And, and usually that, that happens with something I hear, or like, if I talk about it with friends or I talk about it with other people, um, it's not usually me beating myself up on about it, but it's more about what I'm hearing or what people are judging it differently than myself, um, then I, I just won't take that next step. And sometimes that you can apply that to everyone else in, in the world too. It's like what they think is a good idea. Maybe their friend or um, acquaintance doesn't think is a good idea and that can stop them from launching it. And I think that stopped me from launching a couple businesses that could have been successful, um, which I'm, I mean, I kind of regret at the end of the day. So these days do you just not tell anybody or do you just get better at ignoring what they say? You know, it's really hard not to tell someone when you're really excited about something. So, um, yeah, usually I, I still tell them, but um, I'm hoping, I'm just hoping for the best, you know, that they, they say it's a good idea. But, you know, sometimes they save you too. Sometimes it may not be a good idea and you're just not thinking right. How do you differentiate between the two? I, I'm sure that because you've gone through this a bunch of times, when you look back on it, when people have, I'm sure that the ones that have been successful too, I'm sure maybe even Romper Jack, people have said, said, someone out there must have said to you that it's not a good idea. How do you differentiate between, oh, yeah. you know, 
what was good feedback and what was not looking back on the successes and failures you've already gone through? Yeah, yeah. So I think that all comes back down to um, validating the traction. So like um, a lot of times like, you know, friends will be like, I can't believe you're watch- launching that or I can't believe you're, you're starting that product. And I can, we can use Romperjack as a great example. I mean, if you look, if you type in the word male romper into Google in 2017, you would have saw all these articles coming out about how they just tore it apart. Like people just hated it. Um, it was the worst thing ever created for men. Um, and that no one was ever going to buy it. But then you have this Kickstarter campaign that just made 350, you know, $30,000 in like three days. So you're like, okay, wait, which is what, you know, do I go down this path or do I go down this path? Are they, is this something that's going to do well or is this something that's going to do poor? And, um, we had to really think about that. Um, but we made the decision to launch it and it's, it's done great since, and we found an audience that loves it. So, um, we don't regret our decision at, at all at the end of the day. But if you look at another product, I mean, um, for example, if we look at the floaties that we, um, that we started too, everyone loved those. Everyone was saying, you should start these, you should do this, you should get it going. But that only lasted for so long. Like, uh, the sales in that company only lasted for like, you know, like six or seven months and it's very seasonal. And the next year, you know, someone came out with the newest floaties and then now you never see the floaties anymore in the pool. So it's something that kind of died out. So you just have to be careful and, and do your research at the end of the day. What, what about that? Like, are you able to get better at foreseeing when the, the, the lifespan of a product, a viral product especially? Yeah. So the lifespan, I know the lifespan. The lifespan of a viral product is usually, um, it's it can range between one to two years. And then after that, it kind of dies out. And there's something that comes and replaces it. Either something that just is slightly changed or something that is brand new that is completely going to take over. Um, and then, um, especially in electronics, I mean, if you look at electronics, there's always improvements along the way. So electronics are kind of like not a great thing to get into because you know that the next good version is going to come out. In my opinion, it's always better from what I've learned in the last like three or four years of doing this is that it's not as good to focus on the product as much as the brand. So if you focus more on the brand itself and you have an idea and a vision to bring a brand to life, um, that is a much better play. And I can tell you for, from experience from Romper Jack is that when we started Romper Jack, we focused really solely on the romper, the male romper. And we knew that that was going to lose traction. We knew that it was going to die out, but how do we carry the brand Romper Jack on? So, under our audience, we had to make sure that we we're going to give them new products and new things every month or every couple months. So now we offer shorts. We offer, um, we're offering overalls next month. Um, we offer jumpsuits. Um, we just added more and more things. So now we're actually becoming more of a household brand name versus just this one product. But the product was our barrier to entry. It was our entry, our gateway to entry. I'm sorry, gateway to entry. And that just got us going. And now we got to build that brand going forward. Got it. So when you are offering these new products under the brand, are you just are you trying to break your uh, kind of viral customers outside of that, uh, I guess, novelty reason for purchasing into buying from you because of the brand? Or are you looking to expand into new audiences with these new products? 
Yeah, so we initially thought that was it was probably in our best best our best interest to actually go to new audiences as well. Um, so we we started to focus on that, um, but we also did try to focus more on like offering new products um, that we think are going to become big again. Like, um, for example, uh, men's overalls. Like, there's not a lot of companies out there that sell men's overalls, and there's not a lot of companies out there that sell men's rompers. I mean, there's probably only three in the whole entire world that I can think of. Um, so if we can make products that other people are not as necessarily doing or you can't find easily, we can keep that, that viral, um, kind of content with our own brand going. Okay. So you're trying to expand the size of your, your audience over time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. With different products that they may be interested in other than the robbers. Okay. Now you've gone through this, these two phases where you've been super product focused and now you're brand focused. Can you give me an example of like activities or things that a, a, a product focused business might be spending their time on? Yeah. So a product focused business would most likely be spending their time on is making viral content about the product. Um, usually if you're a product business, you only have like one or two SKUs or maybe three SKUs. And your focus really is to drive content and create content around that product that you can market or advertise with. And then um, hopefully you get people through the door at the end of the day. And on the other side, the the brand building focus that you now have, what have you decided to add to the things you guys do on a daily basis, monthly basis to make sure that you are focused on the brand more so than the product? Yeah. So now we focus more on like R and D. So we, we, we create probably 30 to 40 different samples a month. And then we have other people try them on. Um, and then we give them to our customers. Some of our, our high end customers are like some of our, um, influencers. We have them try them on, give feedback, um, maybe have a, do a story about it. If it goes really well, we'll order that product. We also do a lot of campaigns like social media campaigns where we make our current followers and um, customers vote on new products that we should launch. Um, and that that kind of like gives us a little bit of pro- product market validation. Um, and um, hopefully we can actually launch something that m- many people like our customers will actually buy. Okay, so your your approach is almost to focus on increasing your product launches and your SKUs, the number of products that you're releasing, uh, because there's just twofold effect to that. What one is you can get your customers involved to get them to give input and kind of bought into the products ahead of time, which you know gets them to buy into your brand because now they're they feel like they're more of a part of it. And the second thing is just to like we've mentioned before to expand the potential uh, the prospects, especially the potential customers that you could bring in. Yeah, absolutely. So, so for example, we have about a 22 to 23% repeat customer rate. So, um, we want to keep that rate as high as possible because we can actually use our email campaigns and our current customer list to drive sales, um, future sales, um, from now until forever. That's what we're hoping. So to do that, we need to give them something new, something that they might purchase, um, you know, in a month or in a couple months. Okay. So 60 days we talked about from, from beginning of the idea to actually having a store ready to take orders. And I think another, I think the one key benefit of going this, this fast is just the speed, right? Because I think a lot of times people will give up because they kind of languish. They, they have a lot of friction along the way and they feel the drag. Like this is taking too long. Eventually give up or get tired of it or get bored. Just don't feel like they're making no progress. So what do you think people spend too much time on 
that that maybe they're not that that they could remove and then also be launching as fast as you guys within sixty days. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I think a lot of people focus too much on time on getting the product exactly right. Um, a lot of times, like they won't even order a sample until they know 100%, like that they have a 100% right in their mind. Like, and this is the design, this is how it should look. But a lot of times, the the feel, touch, and and seeing it physically in your hands can can make you actually launch sooner, a lot sooner than you think, because you 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 may be missing out. Um, so I think a lot of times people just over, they're their harshest critic and they critic everything, um, too soon, too fast. And, um, if I were to give any piece of advice that if you're not embarrassed by your MVP, um, that you're about your first product, when you launch, then you launch too late. Got it. So how many iterations do you feel like you've gone through for, for Romper Jack between the time that you had that first sample and the product that exists today? Yeah, we actually went, only went through two. So the first first sample we got was absolutely horrible. It was <laughs> it's like it was meant for like maybe a seven year old child or something like that. Um, it, it didn't fit anybody. It was so tight. The material was just horrid. It was like the worst cotton ever. That it would like give you a rash. So right off the bat, we knew like this is not going to sell. We got to change this up right away. So we we the good thing is that having that product in hand knew it showed us exactly what we needed to change and it, it made it so much easier um instead of like just going over email or doing it online so we we went got it we went to the store we got like a little measuring tape one of those little rolly measuring tapes we figured out the length that it needs to be we compared other shorts and shirts uh we wrote it up in an email sent it to the sent it to the manufacturer said hey look this is what the sizing needs to be this is how it has to be and then here's the material. So we went and bought material that we thought was, you know, up to par and we sent him that material as well. So he made it up based off those iterations. He sent it over the second one over. It was perfect. And, um, we said, okay, you know what, we're ready to talk about getting, a, uh, an order in. Yeah. I think that's why setting a deadline is so important just so that you can just then focus on trying your best to get it out by that date. Because I think getting the store up, getting the product ready is gets you into the game, but you're not actually playing it until you actually have something to, to throw against the wall, to put up against potential customers, against beta testers. So when you did get those samples early on, did you test this within just the team and figure out this is not what we want? Or did you try to set up some way to get out to potential customers? So actually, we just tested it like internally. Um, I mean, I think I tried on, tried it on. My brother might have tried it on. Um, a couple of buddies, some of my my other founder co-founders tried it on. Uh, and uh, the first one, we all agreed collectively that it was just terrible. So we went back to the drawing board. And the second one, we all agreed collectively, like this is this is great. This will work. Um, and then kind of went from there. Um, and thank God it actually it worked. <laughs> Right. Now you have, you mentioned already, there's five businesses that are live today. When you move from business to business, how do you make sure that you're able to maintain the past one, I guess the existing ones before you launch a new one? Yeah. So some of the businesses are in different verticals. So, um, a lot of them, some of them are more automated than, than Robert Jack and some of them are not as automated. So I think it's really just time management at the end of the day. Sometimes I, I, um, if if I'm really excited about a new product or or, or something that I see is new, really viral or something I saw on Kickstarter, um, 
I, I'll order some samples. I'll try to see if I can get it going. If, if, if I can find another partner to join me on it, if I, it could be one of my current co-founders or someone in the past I've worked with, I usually don't do things alone. And I think the reason why is because um, my skills are better suited in certain areas. And I like to bring on someone that has other skills um, in other areas so we can kind of work together. And, and it's a lot easier for, for our own time management. And it also takes off a lot of the stress as well. And when you do something like that, I think a lot of people are have been burned or afraid to, to go into these partnerships because they're not sure who should be doing what at what time. How do you make sure that is, that's established so that everyone knows their, their role essentially? Yeah, I think that should be decided before even the product um, gets started, before you even start ordering samples. Um, and I think that really has to be with, like, with trust, too. Do you trust this person? Is this the right person you should work with? I mean, I feel like most people have that intuition, that internal feeling themselves. They just need to you know, make sure that they're making the right decision at the end of the day. Mm. Now, I feel like you have the best of both worlds too, where you have this shiny object syndrome where you're picking, you're, you're constantly launching new businesses, but then you're also able to focus on just launching one thing at a time. Tell us how you do that. How do you continue to want to launch businesses, but then make sure you're staying focused and actually getting one thing out the door at a time? Oh man, if you asked me that question two years ago, I would have been like, you know what? It's not working out at all. I'm never going yeah. <laughs> to launch another company again. I think it's the biggest problem. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. I think you learn over time how to um, how to start to automate certain of the businesses, um, especially at certain levels. So, like when we first started Romper Jack, I was so stressed. I was so over in my head because it was growing so fast, and I didn't I didn't know what to do. I didn't, you know, like I had to get more money in through the door, and uh, and then I had this other company, another tech company I was running at the same time. I mean, I was so so stressed and I, I said to myself, like, I can't ever do this again. But then when everything kind of calmed down and like I start to get a grasp of it, and what I mean by grasp is like I started to to learn like how to manage my time. And, and like I learned how to like do marketing and advertising more efficiently. I learned how to do bookkeeping more efficiently. I learned all these things to, to do, you know, better over time. And I think once you learn those things and you get really good at them, you start to become more confident and you're you're able to actually bring on new companies or launch new companies. Now, speaking of time management, what is your strategy here? How do you make sure that you are spending your time correctly? The best strategy for that is to bring on new people that can help you, um, whether that be employees or, um, or, or family members or something like that that you trust. And you can, you're actually you're, you're paying them but you're bringing on these people to help you to take over a certain job that you were doing in the past. Uh, and you just teach them just everything you know about that job and how to do it. And once they become comfortable, you give them 100% trust and you let them do it on their own. And how do you know what to, to delegate and what to keep? Oh, man, I can't answer that question because I'm still struggling with that myself right mm -hmm. now. <laughs> um, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I still... I still focus a lot of my time on the marketing and advertising side, and I don't really give that away to anybody yet because I'm kind of picky about when it comes to like design and marketing and advertising so and, and getting that content out there. So that's probably the one thing I don't really delegate yet. But when it comes to customer service or returns and exchanges or you're running uh, email campaigns or something like that, um, I'll delegate out. Okay. and But you're probably not – you probably would not recommend or maybe – would you ever – start delegating and bring on people 
before you actually start bringing money through the door? No, absolutely not. I mean, you want to you want to use all of your time during the day to get this thing going. You want to you want to focus. You want to learn every avenue of the business too. You don't want to you know bring someone in the door and have them start running one one end of it um, unless you have like a partner that you're launching with. But you want to learn every avenue because if you don't learn every avenue, you can't teach someone if once you do get to that point to you know where you do have enough money coming in through the door but also you can't afford to bring on anybody too in the beginning so you need to you need to focus 100% running it yourself right i mean i'm sure that you might have potential issues here too because you have again multiple businesses multiple revenue streams when you are launching a new business do you try to keep the revenue stream separate, like as you're starting from scratch and you have nothing when you start started Romper Jack, or do you follow some of your own kind of savings or you know I guess uh, uh, revenue from existing business into it? How do you approach that? Yeah, yeah, good question. So um, sometimes what we'll do is um, if we we think that like a new product is going to be good or like we we have a new idea, we actually will use some of our current revenue from our other companies or from the other um, successful products we're doing. And um, we will um, use those funds to start a new one, um, oh, but only if it's collectively agreed upon. So if I have a founder or a partner that I'm taking those funds from another company, usually I'm starting another company with that same person mm-hmm. or um, you know, we agreed that we're going to use those funds for that. And are there downsides to having, like, I guess, more resources than, than, than typical? In the beginning, I would say probably, yeah, because – you kind of you kind of need to go through the trenches. You kind of need to you get beat up a little bit to learn. Um, if you have resources right off the bat, I mean, I think the probability for failure is probably higher in my mind because you're not you're not willing to like push through the hard times. You'll just like pivot really fast or like you'll start something new because you never gave you never stayed in it long enough to see if it was actually going to play out. So I would say, yeah. Right. I think that makes sense. I think I think money and capital and these kind of resources gives you a lot of speed, but then some things just take a little bit of time to materialize, but because you have so much yeah. speed, because you have so much capital or, you know, more than someone that's starting from scratch, you kind of speed through things and, and change your mind sometimes too quickly. You don't have, you don't give the, the kind of time for the, the play, the, 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 it's a play out essentially. Yeah, and there's a lot of companies that started at the level that we started at, you know, like just small mom pop shops on Shopify. They had a lot of capital and they 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 um, you know, they didn't give enough time, enough enough um, you know, man hours. Um, but they pumped money into it, but it just never worked out. And then you probably could find another competitor that, you know, didn't have that and then and then it did work out. Right. Now, you also mentioned uh, automation, which is something that maybe people can do a little bit earlier than hiring. What are some things that you've automated that you recommend other people look into as well? Yeah. So there's a lot of – so what makes your Shopify really cool is that they always they have all these third-party apps where these third-party companies come in and make these apps. So that these apps are, are designed to help efficiency with your online store. And one for one example is um, email marketing. Um you can um, use a company called Clavio that um, helps you set up and automate all of your emails. Um, when someone comes to your store, buys a product, or adds it to cart, um, they may not buy it, but they add it to cart and you collect their email. And then you can have this whole series of emails that go out to, you know, like, to remind them, hey, we're still holding this, this product in your cart. Come back and buy it. 
And then if they don't buy it in a day, another email will go out and another email will go out the next day, maybe with a discount code. So um, that helps automate all your emails. Let's say someone did buy a product, um, you know, they'll automatically get an email update with like their shipping and, and when it's going to arrive. So that's one example of automation. Another example of automation with like marketing is um, is like retargeting campaigns where you're using like um, Facebook retargeting or, or ad, maybe a company called Abril, which does like they'll make all these um, ads for you. They actually make them for free. They'll make the ad content for you. And then um, you just set up the campaign and it run, runs automatically. And any customer that comes to your store will see these little banner ads all around the internet and you'll get followed around. It's kind of like subliminal marketing and um, you're hoping that they'll come back and click it. So there's a lot of things out there you can automate. Um, even like collecting taxes can be automated using apps. Um, there's so many things. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Got it. Now I want to jump back to something that you mentioned earlier, which is that whenever you do see a viral product or maybe someone wants to take the same strategy and goes on Kickstarter and sees a product that that seems to have a lots of um, that seems to have a lot of momentum and inertia behind it and they want to pursue it's basically the same path you took. You mentioned that you either look for a, a way to add a, add something to the product, a spin, or you find the best way to to look for a new audience to target for that product. Talk to us about that first one. Like what are some ways that people can start thinking about how to add a new spin to a, to an existing product or a product that is about to come out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great question. So adding new spin to a new product, it really depends on like the product itself. Um, I mean, it can go down different verticals. Um, I can use I can use the rompers as an example. So when Rompim was launching their rompers, their focus, you could tell from their their marketing campaigns and, and the way that they designed the rompers, their focus is more um, towards the the fraternity market, college market, um, people who like to party. Um, people that wear this romper to an event, like a July 4th event or something like that, or like some brunch. Um, that was cool, but we were going after a different vertical because we thought it would be, you know, in our best interest. So their rompers are more, were more designed for like that market. So we decided to take the idea of the romper and make it more fitted. Um, so we kind of narrow, narrowed the shorts. We, we made the shirt more fitted, the top part of the, the romper more fitted. Um, we kind of stuck with designs that are more like modern trendy. And then, um, we launched it towards an audience, the LGBTQ audience, or, um, you know, the more of like a Metro male audience. Um, and so that's, that's a different approach that we took. Now, now, when you want to target a new audience, you almost always have to change the product because that sounds like that's what happened, right? You change the product, which then almost by default or by, by consequence also changed the audience that you would have to go after. Yeah, I mean, I would think sometimes you would have to change that. Actually, probably maybe like 70 to 80%. You're probably going to change the audience because some a lot of times a product is, is built for a specific audience or like, you know, will perform better for a specific audience. Trying to think of an example that I've seen in the past where right one where you could change the audience without changing the product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that exist? Yeah, I can't think of one in my mind. But like, um, for example, if you just take like a a cooler and you're selling like a really cool cooler on like a new that's like you can plug in 
uh, and it, it has a battery and you can unplug it and you can take it on like a family trip or camping. Um, that audience, you know, you're focusing on like a family audience and people that go camping. But if you, you launch a cooler on Kickstarter, which there is one that launched before that has like a built-in blender, built-in speaker, um, built-in power cords for plug-in. Um, that audience, you're probably not mostly focusing on family. You're probably focusing more on like the, the college or young 25 to 30 market that goes to the beach, you know, and like goes with their friends. So that's like one example. Right. Yeah. I think the, the, the tighter you have that product market fit, the, the better anyway. So even if there were more examples, I think you're more likely to succeed by creating a specific product for a specific audience anyway, rather than taking one from, from another audience and trying to apply it to the other. If you can make it more specific towards the new audience you're targeting, which is what you guys did, I think you're more likely to, to succeed anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of times when people see a product on Kickstarter, they're seeing it from the eyes of their, their own audience, like the, themselves, um, I would say. And when they have that idea of to add something, it's because it's something that they want personally, or there's something, something they like. And there's a bunch of people out in that world, out in this world where you can find the lookalikes. Mm, that makes sense. So you uh, mentioned that you, one of the key things that you want to that that entrepreneurs should do is to start small and lean. Don't ever just jump into the deep end with an idea and hope it will work. Prove it first. So you mentioned things like doing that research on, on Kickstarter to make sure that that there is kind of a product market fit behind it already. And you also mentioned that you got to create a brand and a story behind the business, which makes it more viral. So what does that mean? What does it mean to to create a, a story behind the business? Um, yeah, so, um, I, I personally feel like starting lean is the most important thing. And I think that's like the number one thing taught when like, if you were ever like to start a startup company or go through an accelerator program, they always teach you like as lean as possible in the beginning, um, just as much as you can. Um, and thank God we got that experience from one of our other companies that we had, we, we went through an accelerator program. So we learned those, those tools really early in the beginning, um, and a really important book that I would recommend is, is a book by Steve Blink, which is called The Lean Startup. And that kind of gives you the ideas. Um, but what was the other question for tools as well? Yeah, you mentioned that um, that about stories specifically, that you want to make sure that there is actually a story behind your business or at least a story that, uh, that, that you can tell or that story that, that I'm assuming is uh, the reason why the business was created. Can you give an example of uh, what it means to create a story behind your business? Yeah, I think creating a story actually helps you define more of your audience. So um, stories are powerful when it becomes when, – when you're using it as viral content. So like it helps you create, you know, ad images. It helps you create videos. Um, and those stories help you sell your products. Um, it, for example, if we use the rompers, the story was, um, we're starting a romper that's more fitted that, um, you know, um, is going out to the Metro mail and, um, we're using designs that are more modern and trendy. And we want, um, people from the LGBTQ market to, to be interested in our product. And they were at the end of the day um, because the story was built around them. We we're building a product around them. Um, even our branding and marketing was more around them as well. So that could be one idea of a story um, as well. The other idea of a story is uh, what the product does and what how it can help you like um, and how it can like, you know, save your life or something like that. So um, you can take like ring doorbell, for example, they started small and then 
became massive, their story was that you can see someone, you know, from from your that came to your door and is at your home, no matter where you are in the world, and you know who visited you or if someone took something, and um, that was a viral story uh, because people, you know, had, could could relate it to their personal experiences when it came to like losing packages or something like that. Yeah, I think what you're getting at too is that you almost need to have like a really good hook or almost like a headline for all of your products that can capture people in just a sentence, right? That explains to them like the ring doorbell in the example you gave that people to see who's at your front door from anywhere in the world. Like that's like a a hook that makes people think, oh, that's interesting. I want to learn more about it. So I think uh, that that is important. That makes your marketing way easier when you have a business or a product that has a kind of a hook, a headline built into it already. So I want to talk about about giving up. So it, you mentioned that because you can go and lean, I'm sure you've had to abandon businesses in the past and you've made that call to give up on a business, on a product, on a category. And you mentioned that if it doesn't work out, you know, in a couple of months and you know that it's not working out, it's time to move on. Don't try to fight it or force a, a market. So can you tell us more about this? Like, how do you make that decision? How do you make, how do you have that conversation with yourself so that you know when you're being delusional or when you are actually being rational and knowing when to continue or continue or, or to give up? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to discover. I mean, um, cause a lot of people, when they start a product, they believe in it a lot. They, they, they put their, you know, whole heart into it. They're getting it going, getting samples. If they, if, if it's something brand new that no one's ever seen before, it probably took them like years to design or come up with. So, um, they're from their own, own point of view. A lot of times yourself is biased when it comes to that question, because you, you believe in it and, but maybe others may not, and you're not getting sales through the door. So really, I think you need to set like, <clears throat> in my mind, you need to set a goals and deadline of, okay, if I don't reach this number by then, or like, if I, if I don't have this many people coming to my store, um, I either one need to pivot or I need, I need to shut it down. Um, and I actually did that. I think that just did that. It was about six months ago. I started a backpack store with like high end backpacks. Um, and the backpacks weren't really designed for me. I was buying from a manufacturer that already like was designing really nice backpacks. And I launched the store and I did ads on Facebook and Instagram, and I followed all the things I've used in the past to to make my other um, store successful. And for some reason, um, I couldn't get any traction. I was getting some sales, but I couldn't get any traction. And the cost to keep the store running just wasn't justifiable to keep it going. In my mind, I wanted to keep it going because I really liked the product. I believed in the product. And I mean, I even owned the own backpack. I used to, I was using the backpack myself and my other friends loved the backpack. But for some reason, I couldn't I couldn't build a strong enough store and I couldn't build a strong enough marketing campaign to get people to buy it. And also the other thing could have been is that there's already a lot of competitors out there that are selling something similar or you're competing with too big of a pool of people. So uh, I didn't do my necessary research, I think, in the beginning to see how big of that market was and who I was competing on. Um, I, I was overspending on keywords on Google just to compete with these other big companies so I think um, just realizing that, you know what, sales aren't coming in. It's been three months. I, was, I would probably say 90 days is the deadline. You know, it's been three months. I spent this amount of money. This is how much I got in return. It won't 
keep on going on successful, so I need to shut down. So when you look at this after 90 days, are you looking for the entire business as a whole to be profitable or just that there's the potential for, for profits sometime soon? I think in 90 days, it needs to be able to make itself um, sustainable. Not necessarily profitable because profitability will come later on. Um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of Shopify, um, early on Shopify companies, or, you know, um, people that start on Shopify and, or with a product, they focus more on like profitability or trying to make money right through the door in the beginning, which, you know, that doesn't happen because you need money to spend on marketing and advertising. You need money to um, buy more product in the future, especially, for example, if you're growing. If you have more growth the following month, you're going to need extra capital to make up for that growth. So profitability is probably not the best thing to focus on because that will come over time when you get things more efficient and you're getting like conversion rates up and all these things. But you need to focus on making the business sustainable. And that's the most important key in the beginning. So you need to make enough money to afford marketing, advertising, and being able to buy product for the following month or the following next two months to make sure that, you know, you're not out of stock and you still have people coming through the door and the customers are still happy and the profitability will come come later on in about 12 to, you know, 16 months. Got it. So you also mentioned that most of your customers are coming now organically. I think you said 65% of customers are organic. What do you think that they are finding out about you? Like where, where are they hearing about Romper Jack? Um, I think from, from their friends and family, from like, um, people posting on, um, Instagram, if you go on Instagram, you type in hashtag, um, Romper Jack, you're going to see thousands of pictures. And these pictures are amazing that people are posting all over the world. We sell in about 44 countries now and all over the world. And that, that becomes viral over time. More and more people see that more and more people see that and they get excited and they're like, okay, I want to buy that. I want to see where can I get that? So the brand name is becoming more of a, a household name. People, especially for the audience we're targeting. And that was our main focus um, up until about nine months ago when we said, you know, it's time to build on the brand. So the fact that our organic traffic is so high is, is, is just proof to us that the brand is becoming more and more powerful. So we need to spend more time on growing the brand versus, you know, the product. Mm. Is it because by nature the product is viral and shareable or are there ways to kind of get the ball rolling on this word of mouth? I would say um, a lot of times that can be that can be true, yes. But in this case, the product lost its viral, I would say it's viral content last year. I think that, it, you know, it's not it's not as viral anymore. People are used to seeing the romper. I remember when I would um, when we first started the romper company about three months in, we would get friends together. We wear the rompers out to try to get traction, get people talking about them. And people would be just amazed. Like, what is this person wearing? Like, this is crazy. And like, they would come up and take pictures with you and like, be so excited. And they're like, Oh my gosh, where'd you get this? But now it's more of like, um, if we wear it on public, the public is kind of used to it. They've seen the rompers before, you know, it's not as viral, but, um, now our audience, um, however we're targeting is not, buying it based off virability they're buying because they like it they like the product we're launching they like the brand name they like the new products we're coming out with mm, that that makes sense okay so you mentioned though as, as well when it comes to paid marketing you basically focus on facebook and instagram can you talk a little about that strategy like what is the strategy for for buying ads on facebook and instagram sure so over the over the past you know, 
four or five years of doing this stuff. Uh, we've tried like every platform out there. I mean, probably like 30 different platforms on, on marketing and um, some, some avenues work better for others and some don't. Um, um, for example, we have a, we have a startup company called WizTutor or WizTutorApp.com and it, it's a place where students and parents can find local on-demand tutors in their area. We have an app and you can book a tutor to come meet you at your house um, and that runs in like three states. And we launched on Facebook and Instagram to try to get people to use it. And no one, we got like zero conversions. Like it was the cost per conversion was like crazy high. And the reason by the reason for that is that people go to Facebook and Instagram to find cool things. They, they go there to, to get their daily cool news or see what their friends are doing. So marketing that company on there is probably not the best bet. But marking that company on Google AdWords where people are typing in, I need a tutor or a math tutor, mm-hmm. is is much more powerful. So that's an example of, of something that works well for one company and not so well for the other. The other example is RomperJack. We used Facebook and Instagram to do RomperJack, and it worked amazingly well. Our conversion rates were so, so strong, um, especially when it was very viral. viral. And... Um, Another platform we used for Romberjack that wasn't so successful, and we don't know really know why, was Pinterest. But we would have never known if we didn't test it. Um, so you have to test those things out to see if it's going to work or not. Is um, is probably the best bet. Right, and you're basically trying to look for like what is the kind of state of mind that your customer is in when they might be looking for your product. Like you're saying, if people, someone that is looking for a tutor, they're probably not looking for one or thinking about one even when they're on Facebook. But when someone is looking at, you know, beach beach photos or party photos or photos of a pool, then the romper fits right in with that kind of content. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's like different stories of marketing. Like there's brand awareness, there's conversions, there's clicks. Um, you could use brand awareness to grow, to get people to know that you exist about the tutoring company. Um, but it, you, you're not using it to get, um, to get conversions or get people to sign up. You're just letting them know it exists. And so you could use Facebook and Instagram to do that, but it, it still might be kind of pricey. Yeah, it might not be feasible for like a bootstrap solo founded company. Yeah. And if you're bootstrapping, my 100% recommendation is to is to utilize Facebook and Instagram because that's the number one use platform where people go to, you know, to see what their friends are doing and things like that. The other one is, is Snapchat. Um, I've used Snapchat in the past, but I, 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 it wasn't very successful for us. Um, but um, hopefully down the road, I might find a company that, you know, it, it does work for. And you're saying to run ads or to create like uh, content? Run ads, run ads and create content is, is the most Facebook and Instagram is the most affordable place to do that. Another really good place to do that stuff too, that people, um, that may work for really for certain products and it's super cheap is actually Reddit. Reddit ads are, are very, very, very cheap, very affordable, and they give you thousands and thousands of visitors to your website. So you would use Reddit to like, to kind of create viral content, not to necessarily sell your product to get people to talk about it. And then you can use Facebook to retarget or, or Instagram to retarget those people. So they may have saw it on Reddit, they heard about it, and now you're reminding them about it on Facebook and Instagram. And that's another way of like starting off bootstrap too is, is kind of like using the, that method. So are you using Reddit to run, run ads to like content pieces and not actual like product pages or trying to get sales? 
Yeah, I don't think Reddit's very strong with like getting conversions and their conversion tags and that stuff is just they're not they're not really built for that. Their infrastructure is not really built for that yet. Um, I think they're leaning towards that way, but right now I would use it only to as brand awareness to get people to start talking about it. Um, you can even use Reddit to send people to a to a YouTube video or to a Kickstarter campaign. Um, but you're not trying to get a conversion or sale out of it with Facebook and Instagram. It's built in a way to actually, you can actually purchase, you know, on Facebook and Instagram, you're not like going to the website, you're purchasing through them. Mm, that makes sense. So you mentioned a couple of apps earlier, Clavio and AdRoll are the two that you mentioned that are in a Shopify app store. Are there any other apps either on a Shopify app store or off of Shopify that you use to run the business? Yeah, so we do a lot of, um, we do a lot of sale campaigns. So we use, there's a lot of countdown timer apps, um, I don't know the names specifically off the top of my head, but, um, so we use those, um, we use, uh, we use tax jar to, to kind of like, um, make sure that we're, we're paying taxes correctly in certain nexuses, certain states. Um, so we use that. What else do we use? Um, obviously there's Facebook app and stuff like that that need to be integrated. Um, and then, uh, we use an SMS app where, um, if you buy a product, you can opt in to um, automatically get a text message of when it's going to be delivered or, um, you know, uh, when it's um, if it's on its way or lost, left the warehouse. Uh, we can also use that SMS app to send e- uh, SMS marketing campaigns, just like you would use email campaigns. And you can automate that. Um, that app's called Fire Push. Um, and then... Um, I can't think of them all off the top of my head because we have so many different apps, but I would definitely stick with Clavio, AdRoll for retargeting, um, FirePush for SMS, um, a countdown timer app, um, things like that in those na- that nature. Awesome. Now, so one final question. So what, what do you feel like has happened this year for you to consider this year a success? Um, I think this year for success... Um, I was blown away that we were, our sales for Romper Jack have doubled from last year to this year without changing much of our marketing campaigns at all. Budget. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're thinking that that's what you want to invest in more for, for, for this year or? I would say yes. So we actually just, um, I've never done this before, but we, we, for, for an e-commerce company, I've done it for our, our, our tech companies, but. Um, we actually just raised funding, um, and we got capital to, for Romper Jack to take it to the next level. Um, and we're really excited about that because, um, we're not like just going to be product based, you know, we're really focusing on the brand and that capital is really going to give us a huge runway to, to offer a whole bunch of products. So within, um, Q3 and Q4, we plan on launching about, um, 20 different SKUs, new SKUs. And opening up um, a warehouse in in Mexico and as well as in Australia to um, do two to three day shipping out of those two countries. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much for your time. So, rompertech.com. Again, thank you so much, Justin, for coming on and sharing your story and experience. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Felix. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.